How many of you are burdened over Ukraine? Yeah, me too. So we want to say a prayer right now for the Ukrainian people. I've been following this very closely. I'm speaking on it today. And I want us to pray for Ukraine. The Ukrainian Christians are suffering. They're, I mean, can you imagine right now if we were gathered here and missiles were landing around us and um, our, some of our brethren were losing their lives and we were getting reports all the time of more catastrophe. And um, it, it's just a real situation. I don't know how many citizens have died now. It's got to be up to 200 by now or more. But we need, want to pray for Ukraine, Ukrainian Christians. So let's do that right now. The Bible says we're to pray for the brethren that are suffering in other parts of the world as if we ourselves were the ones suffering. And so, Lord, we give to you the Ukrainian Christians and the Ukrainian people. And, Lord, how they're suffering right now, how they are uh, being attacked right now and assaulted right now, and their lives are in danger right now. We pray for them. We pray that, Lord, you would send relief, that you would send hope, that the, the gospel of Christ would move in the midst of this. The comforting Holy Spirit uh, would comfort the Christians that are dealing with this, Lord, and the churches that are dealing with this. We pray, Lord, that you will send mercy and drive this attack back. And, because, Lord, it's unjust. It's not right. And we pray, Lord, for intervention that is divine and powerful. We, we pray, Lord, that those that have been wounded and those that have lost loved ones, they will know the comforts of God and you will turn their eyes on the eternal hope that is in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name for the soon cessation of this war. And Lord, we thank you for being with your people. We thank you, Lord, that in the midst of this, where wickedness abounds, grace does much more abound. And Lord, we just thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, I believe that God heard that prayer. Usually when I do a blog, and I've got a little blog, I don't go on Facebook. I don't deal with Facebook. I don't have time to mess with Facebook, but I am on Facebook with a blog, okay? And when I blog, I usually get pretty much guaranteed two to 5,000 reads. Um, so I've got a kind of a loyal base that follow the blog. Thursday, I blogged on Ukraine, and, I, and it wasn't a long blog. I just uh, gave a few prophetic facts about it and went into it. And as of this morning, there was over 27,000 reads. 27,000. I've never had that happen. So based on that, I thought I need to speak on this because there's a real curiosity. What does the Bible say about it? What's going on in our world? We, we want to say, what in the world is going on? Literally. So I'm going to talk to you about that today. I'm calling this Ukraine, Israel, and Bible prophecy. So I want us to pray together, and um, then we're going to read, and I'll let you be seated after we read some passages. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word of God today. We pray you bless it. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what God is saying to the church. And we thank you for, Lord, speaking in these perilous times. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't sit down yet. I want to read out of Matthew 24, <clears throat> verses 1 to 3. 
Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Now, Jesus would never again be in the temple. This was his last time in the temple. So Jesus said, do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. They're bugged by this. They're blown away by this statement because Jewish life revolved around this temple. And it was a glorious temple, one of the uh, wonders of the world in that time. So they came to him privately. Now, listen carefully what they ask. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And while we're at it, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is coming soon. You can be seated. Thank you. Now, based on what Jesus said about the imminent destruction of the temple, um, the disciples came with two questions. And here's the questions carefully. Watch this. When will this happen? Now, that's talking about what he just said, the destruction of the temple. When will this happen, the destruction of the temple? But then they were on a roll, and they decided, we might as well ask him something, something else. What will be the sign of your return? And of the end of the age, and you could read that, the end of the world. What will be the sign? What can we look for that we will know is divine that will signal the end of this world and your return? Now, Jesus immediately proceeds on a prophetic discourse that is the biggest prophetic discourse of his entire ministry. It takes up Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. He makes predictions both near and far of things that will take place in the next few decades because he made this prediction about the temple in around 33 AD. And in 37 years, the temple was brought down, the Romans invaded Jerusalem, and everything he had predicted happened in 70 AD. So he predicted things near that they themselves would see and things far away, reaching down to the end of time to the end of the world. If you've been a Christian very long at all, you're aware at least somewhat of what Jesus predicted. I'll just skip over them real quickly, skim over them. Jesus said, right off the bat, there will be many deceivers before I return. Many deceivers, false Christ, false prophets. And then he said, and you're also often going to be hearing about wars and rumors of new wars. After those two predictions, Jesus went on and he said, but the end is not yet. Now, when he said the end is not yet, he was talking about answering their question when they said, what will be the sign of the end? So he's letting them know here, the end is not yet. In answer to your question, when you see these things, the end is not yet. The end of the world is not going to happen yet. He went on to predict that nation would rise against nation and kingdom would rise against kingdom. In other words, world wars. And there would be widespread famines and pestilences. Pestilence is plagues, pandemic, can you say COVID? And earthquakes in many different places. 
Jesus said, that's what you can watch for. Now, those are general signs. He also said that his followers would absolutely suffer much persecution, including betrayals and hatred, even by those closest to them, moms, dads, children, turning against parents, parents against children, everybody trying to save their own skin in an hour of persecution. Jesus further predicted, I'm going to go over this again because it matters, nation against nation, because the word there in the Greek is ethnos, and and that means race. Race will rise against race, racial wars, predicted by Christ. Now concerning these wars and the rumors of them, Jesus said these words, and we need to hear this today. He says, see that you're not troubled, disturbed, agitated, or alarmed. Amen? I'm going to read that again. See that you're not. Turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. See that you are not. He's just told us the world's going to come apart at the seams. But he says, see that you're not troubled, disturbed, agitated, or alarmed. Why? Because we know the one who's got the whole world in his hands. All right? Now, with Jesus' words in mind about wars and rumors of wars and don't be disturbed, agitated, troubled, with those in mind, this week we've all witnessed the actions of a modern-day tyrant, Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia. Beginning early Thursday morning, Russia unleashed shelling and rocket attacks on several major cities in Ukraine simply because they want to take over Ukraine. Ukraine didn't do anything wrong except be independent and free. And communist Russia doesn't like that. And they right now are bombing and pressing into and seeking to take over the Ukrainian cap, capital of Kiev. And, and as of now, Kiev is still fighting. And Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has shown incredible courage refusing to flee for his own safety, staying with his people, staying in touch by iPhone and by visual and audio communication. And he's staying right there to the end fighting for his people and he needs our prayers. He's a very, very courageous man. Now we need to take a quick glance back into history to help us understand what's happening here. The Soviet Union was formed on December 30th, 1922 under Vladimir Lenin, another Vladimir. And it collapsed on the day after Christmas in 1991. That means the Soviet Union that Lenin began lasted 69 years, 69 terrible years. And just prior to the collapse of the Soviet Union, Ukraine and two other countries declared independence from them before they went down. And after the Soviet Union's collapse, 12 other Soviet states or Soviet countries followed suit and became independent when the Soviet Union officially bit the dust December 26, 1991. Most observers that are watching what's happening in Ukraine believe that Putin is trying to restore the old Soviet Union to its former glory. Communism never likes independent freedom. 
Communism doesn't like it when people walk out from under its control. Communism is an iron oppressive fist. And it has bothered, I believe, Vladimir Putin all these years that when the Soviet Union went down, all these different Soviet states defected and became independent. So now that he's coming against Ukraine to bring it, as he would say, back into the fold. Who would want to go back under communist Russia? Nobody in their right mind. And if you want to know what communism looks like in all of its glory, because our nation, part of our nation has gone loop crazy, uh, believing that socialism, for instance, is a good thing, but socialism is only greasing you for communism. If you want to know what communism and that kind, that level of social control looks like, all you got to do is read about the millions of Russian citizens that were arrested during those 69 years the Soviet Union was in power, executed, imprisoned, banished to labor camps, kept in abject poverty, while communist leaders like Lenin and Stalin grew rich. Gee, politicians growing rich. While the people are in bread lines. Who'd have thunk it? And more to the point, four to five million of the people who died from starvation during the Soviet rule were Ukrainians. Four to five million of them. So Ukraine holds no love lost for Russia. Now many are wondering if the attack on Ukraine figures in a Bible prophecy. Is it in the Bible? Is it anywhere in the scriptures? My answer is yes, indirectly. And I want to tell you how. To understand it, we've got to reach back 2,500 years to the prophet Ezekiel for the answer. I always tell you the Bible is a supernatural book. It's the only book in the world, not from the world. Holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit and wrote down what they wrote. It is a supernatural book. There's no book like this book. This book is the greatest book on earth. It's the all-time bestseller. And you know why this book... You know why this book is so incredible? Because this is the only uh, religious book. It's the only religious book that dared to prophesy. You won't find prophecy in the Quran. You won't find prophecy in any of the writings of Buddha. You won't find prophecy in any of, in, in any of the books uh, out of Hinduism. You won't find prophecy in any of the Mormon writings. Well, you do, and they all failed, actually. But this is the only book that dared to predict future events with great specificity. And we're about to read one of them. If you turn to Ezekiel 38, don't, I'm going to read it to you. But if you turn to Ezekiel 38, you'll see that God is speaking directly through the prophet about a time in the far distant future that he calls the last days. In some Bible versions, call it the latter years. He predicts a time when a confederacy of Middle Eastern nations will join together to attack Israel. Clear as a bell. He begins by identifying the players. And he starts with the number one key player in the attack. Let me just begin reading the first two verses of Ezekiel 38. 
Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against God. Now these names I'm going to read, you're going to go, what in the world is that? I'm going to tell you what it is. So don't let this blow you away. Just don't name your son Gog. Okay? Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog. So Gog of Magog. The prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And prophesy against him, the him being Gog of Magog. So a person called Gog of the land of Magog is the leader of the attack against Israel that will come in the near future. What will Gog do? Ezekiel 38 verses 8 and 16 Put together, say this, after many days, in the latter years, you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud. In the latter years, there's the time period, you will come up against my people Israel. And in other places, Ezekiel says, that are gathered from many nations. So this is a reformed nation of Israel. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud. The, the, the attacking army will be so huge, it'll be like a cloud covering the land. Ezekiel 38 is clearly predicting a last day's attack on Israel. So first, let's ID these people. Who are these people? Who's Gog and Magog and some of the ones we're going to name in a minute? We first find Magog in Genesis 10 where the Bible says that Magog, Meshach, Gomer, not Pile, and Tubal, all named in Ezekiel 38 verse 2, were all sons of Japheth. And who was Japheth? He was one of the three sons of Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. You do know that from Ham, Shem, and Japheth, the earth was completely repopulated after the flood. Ham, Shem, and Japheth repopulated the earth after the flood. When they got off of that ark, they were the only ones standing there looking at an empty world. So it matters. So they are from Japheth, Japheth's sons. And we find that these four sons, Magog, Meshach, Gomer, Tubal, Trace their descendants directly to the landmass of Russia before it was ever called Russia. As they repopulated the earth, they migrated. As they migrated, those four went north and settled in what would now be the landmass of Russia. Let's take the four names one at a time. Gomer. Gomer traces back to the people living in the area of the Black Sea, which borders the southern tip of Russia. Magog traces back to Georgia, not in the United States, but Georgia, a Soviet bloc state bordering Russia near the Black Sea. Russia again. Tubal traces to the people of the Russian city, Tobolsk. You can hear it there. Tubal, Tobolsk. And the descendants of Meshach traced to the city of Moscow and the Russian 
Muscovites. You can hear it again. Meshach, Muscovites. So four of Jacob or Japheth's sons, descendants, migrated to what is today Russia. This is going to matter, so hang with me. Now, who's Gog? Gog is just a title, like President, Caesar, Pharaoh. He's the person who apparently is going to rule over the land of Magog, and he may be the very person we could say kind of like Putin. I'm not saying Putin is Gog, but I'm saying it'll be somebody like that that will orchestrate this last day attack against Israel. He will be the leader and Magog will be the land. And Magog is clearly pointing to Russia. The Bible says it's the land to the uttermost north. Look to the uttermost north of Israel and you come to the western tip of Russia. And there's nothing after Russia. Nothing after it. That's it. That's to the uttermost north. And, and Ezekiel said that this army, Magog, the leader, will be situated and located in the uttermost parts of the north or into the north parts of Israel. That's Russia. Then next, Ezekiel identifies the nations that are going to join hands with Gog. This gets, this gets real. Because there's going to be a confederacy of nations that join with Gog and Magog to attack Russia. Well, who are they? He names them Persia, Cush, Put. That's another one. Don't name your son Put. Put that down. That's free advice from the pulpit. Cush, Put, Gomer, and the house of Togarma. He identifies the nations that are going to join with Gog. Persia, Cush, Put, Gomer, and the house of Togarma. Who are they? Now, I want you to keep something in mind. He uses the names of countries from his own time period to predict the general regions of the world from which the cooperating nations will come. So let's identify them by where they were geographically then and what that same geographical location is today. Gomer. Gomer was the area of what is now the country of Turkey. Kush. Kush's territory was what is now Sudan and Ethiopia. Isn't it amazing? Ezekiel prophesied 2,500 years ago. How do you even know these were still going to be around? God knew. The one who knows the end from the beginning knew. Watch this now. Put was the area comprising today's Libya and Algeria. Persia's easy. Persia, the landmass of Persia is now modern day Iran. And Togarma traces back to the Armenians. And where is Armenia? Just to the north, bordering Iran. He said, those are going to be the players. Those are going to be those that join hands with Magog to attack the land of Israel in the last days. 
So follow this. Ezekiel predicts in the last days a confederation of nations will join hands to attack Israel. This prophecy has never happened in the history of the world. This is yet to be. This is front burner last days prophecy. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if I woke up in the morning and saw on the news that Russia had gone ahead and attacked Israel next. It wouldn't surprise me because the Bible said it's going to happen. This confederation of nations will be led by Russia and could include Turkey, Sudan, Ethiopia, Libya, Algeria, Iran, and Armenia. Now, these are all Muslim nations, which means this is going to be primarily and overwhelmingly a pan-Islamic attack against Israel, with Russia the only non-Muslim participator. The rest of them have already said, I want Israel gone. We hate Israel. Israel's unjust. We want it wiped off the map. They hate Israel. Every nation that Ezekiel names have already been outspoken in their hatred of the land they will one day attack. But Ezekiel said it 2,500 years ago. Ezekiel graphically describes what the assault against Israel will look like. Verse 2, son of man, turn and face Gog of the land of Magog. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. A long time from now, you will be called into action. In the distant future, in the last days, in the latter years, you will swoop down on the land of Israel, which will be enjoying peace after recovering from war and after its people have returned from many lands to the mountains of Israel. When did they return from many lands to the mountains of Israel? When they became a nation again in 1948. He said, you will roll down on them like a storm and cover the land like a cloud. It'll be cataclysmic. It'll be huge. It'll be shocking. It'll be breathtaking. It will take many, many people by surprise. Israel will look vastly outnumbered. Israel will look like, oh man, they're toast. You think of Ukraine right now looks like the odds are stacked against it. But imagine if Russia were attacking them with all of these other nations going along. That little slice of land called Israel. But guess what happens? God says, you don't, you don't attack my kids. You don't attack my land. You don't attack my people. I want you to look at what it says God will do. This is what will happen in that day. This is verse 18, Ezekiel 38. This is what will happen in that day. When Gog attacks the land of Israel, my hot anger will be aroused, declares the sovereign Lord. Verse 22, I will execute judgment on him and with plague and bloodshed. I will pour down torrents of rain, hailstones, and burning sulfur on him and on his troops and on the many nations with him. And so I will show my greatness and my holiness, and I will make myself known in the of many nations, then they will know that I am the Lord. Right when it looks like, like Israel is vastly outnumbered and about to become official toast, God says, that's it. And signs 
begin to take place in the heavens. And God pours out. I'm only reading what it says. It sounds like Sodom and Gomorrah, but fire from heaven. And the Bible says that the nations that were attacking Israel are utterly and completely decimated. I want to suggest to you it may be Islam's last stand. Because the Islamic armies will be wiped out. I'm just reading the Bible. This is not a Jeffism. This is not a Wickwireism. This is not something I'm just wanting to say to give everybody goosebumps. This is what it says. Right when it looks like Israel will be wiped off, God says, I will execute judgment. Nobody's going to have to do it for me. I will do it. I will pour down rain, hail stones, burning sulfur. I will show my greatness and holiness. Now watch this one. I will make myself known to the nations. They will know. Who's the they? The nations of the world will know that I am the Lord. When the armies attacking Israel are completely destroyed by what is clearly the intervening hand of God. You say, when is that going to happen, Jeff? It could happen any time. It's sort of like the rapture of the church. It could happen at any time. I could be talking to you right now and disappear, and hopefully you're not still sitting there. <laughs> or vice versa. You, you go, and I'm standing here going, wow, how did that happen? That can happen at any time. There's nothing prophetically that needs to be fulfilled for the rapture of the church to happen. And it's also for this, Ezekiel, Ezekiel's war. This war predicted by Ezekiel, it could happen at any time, at any time. But what I want you to see today, the reason I brought this out and what I blogged about was simply this. Notice how Ezekiel describes the character of Magog, the character attributes of aggression, cruelty, brutality, that Ezekiel attributes to Gog and Magog are being played out like a dress rehearsal before our very eyes with the Russian invasion of Ukraine because these very this very same mentality will one day come down against Israel. The brutality, the aggression. I'm going to take what you've got. I want you, and so, you're, so I'm going to make you mine. You will come under my thumb. You will come under my control. They just don't know that when they go against Ukraine, it's one thing. When they go against Israel, God's people and God's land is entirely something else. The war Ezekiel describes has never taken place in the history of the world. So it's coming. Now, what what does this mean for us today? Because I can talk about prophecy all day long. I'd love to have a prophecy conference sometime. And, and really bring together some, some true prophecy scholars and, and lay out the last days. Because, for, folks, this is just a slice of what's happening prophetically in our day that the Bible predicted. We are in a day where prophecy is unfolding like the daily news. Are you aware of that? So can you understand with me that the God who said this was coming also has everything under control? I want you to say with me, God, come on, God has everything under control. Say it again. God has everything under control. Give the Lord a hand of praise. That's what it means for me today because I see all these players. Do you know what the odds are that one man 2,500 years ago could pick up a pen, a quill, and write down 
the nations that would exist in the last days, what their character would look like, what their behavior would be like, and exactly what they will do and how they will do it and how he will answer it. We serve a mighty God. So what does this mean for us today? Well, here's what it means. We're living in truly perilous times. The Bible says in the last days, perilous times. It means dangerous times will come. Many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines taught by demons. It'll be troublesome times, dangerous times, perilous times. Where we need to stay close to Jesus, stay close to the word. Every day get up and pray. Every day get up and say, Lord, I'm yours and you are mine and I submit to you. But more than that, these are times of opportunity. This is an hour of opportunity. See, anytime there is a trial like this, tribulation like this, something wicked like this happening in the world, that, that is the key time for real churches, the true church, to stand up with the gospel of Christ and preach it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because there is only one thing that breaks this kind of wickedness, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I, I want to close by joining two Bible verses together for a final exhortation. Here they are. Jesus said in Luke 21, 28, when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up for your salvation is near. I want us to stand together, can we? He said, stand and look up. I want us just to do that. Let's just stand. And I want us to look up. Now I want you to know I'm not looking around. I'm not looking down. I'm not looking within. I'm looking up. If you look within, you'll faint. If you look around, you'll be distressed. If you look up, you'll be encouraged. So he said, all these things begin to happen. Don't look around you. Don't look within you. Don't look below you, but look up, look up, look up, look up. Why? Because our salvation is near. These are the last days we're witnessing with our very eyes, everybody. And then he says, being very careful how you live. Live wisely, not like fools. Use every opportunity you have for doing good because these are evil times. So here's the way every believer is supposed to respond to these things. One, keep an upward focus. Upward, upward. Have you ever noticed? And when you open up the Bible, by the way, that's one way of looking up. Okay? When you look at the Bible... You're looking up because you're reading God's word. So that's a way of looking up. All right. Um, if you've been then be risen with Christ, look up. Colossians 3, 1. Look up. Uh, keep your focus on things above and not on things of this earth. So, so the Christian is to look up with an upward focus. How many of you have ever noticed in the place of prayer, when you go to prayer, you're looking up? Because you're, you're calling on God who is up there, okay, in heaven. So that's one way to look up. By praying. Another way is to open up this word. I got into the word this morning. I read something that had nothing to do with this message. It's my daily devotional. And when I read it, you know what it did? It strengthened my faith. It encouraged my heart. And it set my heart on fire to come and preach this word to you. Because, because I look up by going into prayer. I look up by getting into the word of God. Another way I look up is by staying in church. I look up. Because we're supposed to come to one another and sharpen one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Yes. 
So he says, first of all, you got to look up. And then he said, be careful how you live. Be sure you're living godly. Be sure you're living in Christ. Be sure you're walking out your faith. Be sure you're real. Be sure you're authentic and genuine in your faith. That's what he said. Be careful how you live. And he said, finally, make the most of every opportunity to do good, to do good, to do good. Amen? That means you're going to encounter people this week I'll never encounter. You're going to be around people I'll never meet, I'll never get to know. You're going to have a chance to do good. Do good in the name of Jesus. Do good things. He said, look up, live right, and do good. Can we say that together? Look up, live right, do good. Because the days are evil. Amen? The days are evil. And so I exhort you today. I wanted to bring you this little prophetic word from the Bible, not Jeff. To me, a Bible, a prophecy conference ought to be, what does the Bible say about prophecy? Not what I'm saying God is telling me. I don't want you to hear what God's telling me unless what God is telling me is what he's already said here. Okay? But <clears throat> I wanted to encourage you today. Because when we look at the news at Ukraine, it's distressing. And it may get worse this week. If they storm Kiev and take it, if the Ukrainians were to lose, if the president of Ukraine was to lose his life, what then? Ready? Look up. Live right. Do good. That's the way I'm going to respond. As a matter of fact, if it, the worse it gets, the gooder I'm going to do. Yeah? Because I give the devil back what he tries to hurl at me. If he attacks me, I give hell heaven. Hell likes to give me, but I like to give hell heaven. How do you do it? Look up, live right, do good. Amen? Amen. Can we lift our hands to the Lord today and say, Lord, thank you that you've got everything under control. This is your world. We do believe you to help the Ukrainians. But Lord, we know history is your story. Help me to look up to live right and do good. Pray for your neighbor, would you? You don't have to take their hand or anything, but just say, Lord, I pray for my neighbor. Say, Lord, help them to look up and to live right and to do good. We hold each other's hand. We strengthen one another. If you needed this today, give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen. Well, it's good to see all of you here today. How many of you needed this today? Does this help you all to understand what's going on? And um, isn't it amazing? Russia, God had Russia tagged 2,500 years ago. Amen? That's amazing. So good to see all of you. And uh, we love you in Christ. Good to see you. our numbers are coming back after the COVID thing. Uh, amen? 
Good to see all of you. And if you're here for the first time in a while, we welcome you back. And those of you that are still at home in your living room, when you can make it, come back. Nobody's dying. Nobody's choking. Nobody's getting COVID. We're all good. All right. All right. I want to pray for you. And I'm going to ask my prayers to come down. Would you come on prayers? Amen. Thank you, Lord. And some of you need prayer. You need to pray about money stuff. You need to pray about family stuff. Cindy and I this week have dealt with so many family trials, people calling, so many people battling disease and sickness and disintegrated marriages and families. And we've just dealt with with so much heartache this week from other people, not just church people, but people that aren't in this church, people that are in other states. So much suffering going on. That's why I want to preach to you the God who will comfort you. So I want to pray for you. Amen. You need prayer. Come down and take the hand of one of these folks as soon as we dismiss. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, for your ministry. Thank you for your touch. And we pray for the Ukrainians once again in closing. Comfort them and strengthen them and help them and intervene for them. And we pray that, Lord, you will help all of us this week to keep an upward focus. To live right and to do good. And we thank you for it, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Don't forget Wednesday night with Scott Hinkle. And we'll see you next time, next Sunday. God bless.